sitting talking to microphones sometimes with nobody else around uh, we spend hours cutting up little bits of audio um, because we are that into um, beer and podcasting. Um, and I suppose, Steve, something that you said right at the at the beginning when we talked about when you came together um, five years ago, uh, you know, you had six people around the table. And then you made the point that now there's more than 50 beer podcasts in the UK. I, I had no idea there were so many beer podcasts. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing, really. I think we, we've seen a lot of them actually start during the lockdown period as, as well. And I think that's just the consequence of people having more time on their hands and wanting to maybe go a little bit further into their hobby and, and see where they can take it. And and I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, trying to, to, to keep up with them all. Um, I, I will say I don't listen to every single one of them, but we, we do try and stay on top of them because we have a, a directory on our website of all of the beer podcasts that are available. But yeah, it's just, it's fantastic to see um, new ones cropping up and how people take them on, on different slants as well. So I think probably all of us here today all have a slightly different slant on, on what we do and, and, and a slightly different way of doing it. And I, I think that's great because there, there is literally something for everyone out there at the moment. There certainly is, isn't it? And it's interesting that you mention sort of lockdown, that a few of them have, have sprung up during lockdown what has people experience been of podcasting during lockdown adam well, i think it's probably same for everyone is just making use of technology that was probably already there um i had zoom on my phone as an app and now i'm thinking what have i used that for and then i realized there was some some use of one one sever in the last year but um i think it's just made everyone realize that you don't have to be next to each other and the, the quality of the recording is virtually exactly the same as long as you've got something to record through being a microphone um but yeah, yeah, it's been the one thing that's kind of been eye-opening. Is we we always recorded in a pub, round a table, and we want. I suppose it's something we've lost. To be honest, is that chat round a pub kind of vibe, and a lot of our feedbacks always been, oh, it feels like we're kind of there with you sometimes, having a drink and stuff. I mean, that's been lost. But what's been uh, given us an opportunity is we're not having to get people who live locally to come and join us. We, you could, you know, you, you talked about you know speaking to um, people, you know, the other side of the world. And it's very easy for us to kind of go, hey, guys from London, do you want to join us tomorrow? And there's no, there's no like, well, I need to get a train ticket and then all that stuff. It's just it's quite instant. And um, I think having it as a video thing as well, you still get that kind of, you can see eye to eye, you can see people's reactions. You still get that, you know, you're not just over audio, just trying to guess what people's reactions are. You can tell a lot from the face. And I think that's something we've taken. And, you know, we've upped our output to, well, but now we're going weekly, but now two weekly, where we're once a month monthly podcast, and we're also making use of putting the video stream on YouTube, which we never did again. So it's just opening an extra avenue, which it's not cost us any more money. It's cost us less because we're not travelling around. But, um, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's had um, it's been eye opening, and it's had virtually all all positives apart from not being able to drink in the pub and see see friends. But yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to build on that. I mean, we've all sung the praises of Zoom and the ability to connect in a time when we have to just sit in our homes or spare rooms. Um, but that video piece has been really interesting and new, especially as a podcaster as well. I'm happy that no one needs to see me. But this idea of how quickly the industry responded and, and kind of really engaged with live streaming and the fact that we could all of a sudden hear from brewers around the world or people in the beer industry in all different roles in their homes and in this very relaxed and sort of 
intimate environment have been able to have these conversations beforehand. So I think for me, really seeing how people instantly moved to something like IGTV and used Instagram to have these conversations with brewers. Um, and as I said, beer personalities, really, it's been really fun to watch those and really see how quickly people were able to make that happen. Like Gabriele Bertucci, for example, he did his digital beer streams for, I think, about eight weeks, maybe more, four days a week, making sure that you had company if you were, you know, perhaps by yourself and you're a fan of the beer industry, you could tune in every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. and watch his live stream. The fact that there was someone so committed to put something like that out there for all of us to stay connected has been really nice to watch during the pandemic. Uh, I was going to say, admittedly, I think we seem to have gone the other way. It's, it's amazing what uh, people have done, how they've taken advantage of the uh, sort of online work. Um, we seem to have gone a little bit the other way and our output has been somewhat limited this year. And obviously we've had, uh, we are obviously Tom and Ashley are new fathers, so they've, they've obviously had that to deal with as well. Um, but uh, in terms of our online episodes, I think we've only done about four or five um, and we we know it's the perfect time as Adam said it's the perfect time to get guests on the show and you know for whatever reason we haven't really capitalized on that uh, I think that's just on our part but as you say it is it is amazing to see the work that people are doing online in terms of you know still being able as you say it's a, it's a sense of community and to be able to bring all of that community together um, in such a way online has uh, has definitely been a plus point in in an otherwise uh, quite a grim year. Yeah, it it's made the world a little bit smaller, hasn't it? That's mm. that, that's the thing. Going going online as you know to echo what everyone said, it's it's been much easier for us to bring guests into the show because it doesn't matter if they're at the other end of the the, the country. Um, it doesn't matter if they're in a different country because you can work with, with, with the time difference. But as, as, as long as you can get them online and you can get them on a video, then you've, you've got an, an opportunity to chat to them. And I, I think that has been... In, in, a, in, in a year of very few positives, that's, that's been one of the very big ones is that we've got to talk to more people as a result of, well, the, the world moving online. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, the fact that I think we, we had one of our most expensive episodes ever to record was going up to Pilot um, in Edinburgh because we had to obviously pay for train fare, accommodation, um, you know, keeping down in beers. Um, it was um, it was it was quite expensive, but then this year we got to record with you know one of my favourite breweries from the past three years because we could do it over Zoom. It was phenomenal. It's um, you know s- straight away we could just get Dan from Wonder Beyond on 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 the chat, and it wasn't that awkward, even though we'd never met each other in real life before. Um, it was it was actually really nice, and I think yeah, like we've massively expanded out the guests we've been able to have. Um, slightly changed tact. I'm surprised there's not more beer TikTok though in lockdown. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> we've seen a little bit of Instagram. I think I think maybe that the craft beer scene is just slightly getting older and and the young people aren't coming in. So you know. Well, there's an opening for you there, Luke. Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying. There's no actually. It's a real shame that Stephen from Points of Brew isn't on here because after having a good search on TikTok. He's literally the only UK beer TikToker, um, and I have no idea who watches his TikToks. But I was going to say, have you checked the demographic for a TikTok? Are they actually under eighteen and can't drink anyway? Um, yeah, my my point is, um, I had it. Bef- I was thinking about it before, but Luke just talked about um, awkwardness over you know, it's the no be no awkwardness, and I'm going to use the phrase new normal because um, we use that, in, but not just for us as as producers, but for people who 
used to sat in front of screens and talking to people via video or or, or seeing obviously seeing faces in this sort of this this way and also maybe just being a little bit more lenient to slight technical glitches and things which you can't rely on internet connection you, you that's not something you can control and occasionally you might lose a bit of audio you might get the odd blip and stuff and i think that because everyone's so tuned into it and been doing it in their own jobs and in their own personal lives that it, it's kind of it's helped us a little bit and i think I think it will continue in some format. I mean, we'll be dying to go back in the pub, and I'm sure Laura will agree, but there will be times where it's just not going to be convenient and we can just drop back into this format and people are just used to it. People are used to it. Everyone's used to it. So I think, um, yeah, that's another kind of taking point, I think, for the last, what, nine months, is it now? (laughs) Yeah, I think, like, Adam makes such a great point, especially in spaces. You know, if we think pre this year about beer Twitter or beer Instagram, in beer Twitter, there's so many hot takes. People are so quick to respond and perhaps start a bit of a fight. Conversation, I should say, but sometimes (laughs) a bit of a fight. When Instagram, you know, we need everything to be so polished. People have been so forgiving of each other this year. And that's been really wonderful to see that we can actually just share what we love about beer. And it's all about connecting with each other and creating community. And for me as well, you know, over Google Meet and then Zoom, I have created a community and and built a new business over lockdown, which has been something I never expected. Literally, you know, I, I had my book launch that unfortunately was canceled because it was back in March and I started an online book club on Google Meet. And I just put a link out to the world, probably not what you're advised to do these days now that we're all used to it. But back in April, I put a link out to the world and I had people join me and, you know, built a mailing list over weeks of then offering from book club, this lockdown beer school that we had 150 people on that mailing list just from Twitter and Instagram and people wanting to come together and chat about beer on a Thursday night. Exactly. And, you know, you've been doing your your beer school online. Will that continue online, do you think, after... You know, with even when we can go back to meeting face to face? I sure hope so. I mean, I've got 50 people signed up to go again in January after the 50 people that took it this fall. And I really think, you know, I had people calling in from Brazil and, and America as well as the UK. And it's this idea of really making beer education more accessible uh, that mm-hmm. has really, uh, really enlightened me with the lockdown period to realize that what I would normally do in person, we can totally do over Zoom. And we can totally do with many people from whatever their background or wherever they're, they're dialing in from. Absolutely. And Mark? I I was just going to say, I know we've got one editor among us in Steve, but in terms of, um, you know, being able to broadcast these podcasts, to be able to edit them and uh, and share them out. The one thing I have found, as much as I do miss being in the same room as Ashley and Tom and having a beer with them, I have found it a lot easier to be able to get these (laughs) shows together and and be able to put them out to the world. I didn't know Mm. for for any of the other editors out there how, how you found it in terms of being able to, you know, very quickly be able to get this stuff out in terms of the online online stuff that we do. In, in saying that, though, I have to say that there's a lot more people I've found who need to invest in some good recording gear. Um, it's it's actually I think that it's, you know, as a side point away from COVID um, and and this general point is it's it's funny, actually, we've had a massive proliferation of beer podcasters over the last few years. And there's just so many of us now, which is fantastic. I'm waiting for that that now that next step up into the like professional podcasters who come through so i think we're really i I don't know actually i'd be interested to see what other people think but in like the last five years the only one that me for me sort of stands up at that npr level of of podcasting is we made a beer from a couple years ago who put out a season or two and then disappeared and so i'm just wondering you know i think that's that's going to be an interesting thing to watch over the next sort of five years is is how beer podcasting progresses 
I, mean, I think I, w- I wanted to ask something about that, and particularly uh, to Nas, actually, how, um, you know, a podcasting, broadcasting uh, has has gone up, particularly in, um, so we, we had the British Guild of Beer Writers Awards the other night, and I, I can't count how many people who won for podcast material um, in all the different categories, you know, um, uh, you know, in sustainability, it was a podcast that won in, uh, lockdown it was a podcast that won online you know there was so many places where where podcasts are being taken seriously are have podcasts do you think uh you know you can get laughed at as a podcaster oh you've got a podcast but actually are they gaining more respect now do you think yeah well i think we have you to thank for that emma as uh, being recognized as the beer writer of the year back in 2018 for your podcast work and your broadcast work and then of course with johnny garrett being recognized last year for all of the amazing things that he does on youtube with the craft beer channel his podcast as well and i think it is that just sort of people seeing that there are multiple ways to communicate about beer and sometimes whether it is audio whether it is video we can engage in totally different ways it doesn't have to just be drinking the beer chatting to our friends about it reading about it there are lots of other ways that we can engage in beer and bring people into the experience. And that's really, I think, where audio and, and video as well are so different. Because as you've often said, this is such an intimate experience for people to listen. They've got their headphones in, they're doing it on their own. You know, they're practically in the in the Zoom room with us at the moment. And I think that has really allowed people to kind of realize, oh, I've got my, my community here. These are my people. They love beer as much as I do. I want to know who they are. I want to engage with them. And I think that's really elevated how we speak about beer through these different mediums. Absolutely. Steve? I think I think Nat's bang on there. You know, there are a lot of mediums now that we, we can get the message out. And and just to also quickly answer Luke's question, I, I think we are beginning to see that next level of podcasts coming through now. I think if you look at what um, Matt Curtis is doing with Pellicle, that's, that's beginning to take podcasts to a new level. Um, but what I wanted to do was actually to kind of spin it a little bit Emma because you've been doing a fantastic job of hosting but you've not really had an opportunity to talk about what you do and and obviously you've you've for years you've done the the fantastic work with fermentation radio but recently you've just transitioned into doing some video stuff on 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 YouTube so what what was your thinking um behind changing from the 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 audio medium and and taking that into the into the video space um, so I'd done a bit of video work for other people, you know, on the on the QT without me being in it um, before, and it was supposed it was something that I know nothing about. Uh, so I read a book and watched some YouTube videos, and you know how we all learn nowadays. And um, I just thought it would be fun. I suppose the main learning that I've taken away from it is how similar it can be to audio work in terms of editing, telling a story, putting the putting the story together but also how, how different it is to audio work. And that's something that I think I, that's the bit where, uh, yeah, I, the step up that I need to take really in terms of, um, yeah, how to, how to engage people in, in that medium. Whereas I'm used to, as, as Natalia said, having people just listening to me through their earbuds, not having to somehow provide them with a palette of entertainment in front of them. It's, it's very different. And I think it's, um, it's yeah it's something something really t- a real learning learning curve for me absolutely um i don't think that uh video will kill the podcast star i think it's uh, i think it's another just another angle another another way of communicating you know as as natalia said so many different ways of communicating it's certainly not 
going to uh, destroy podcasting. I was going to say, I've got a question on that. Like, how have you found that transition? How how are the audiences in comparison for videoing compared to podcasting? In terms of... In beer podcasting, beer video. Cause in terms of be- numbers? Or yeah, or well, just... and. It, yeah. I think it's really early days for me. I only put my first video yeah. out four weeks ago. Um, so I've put one out the last each of the last four weeks, uh, and that's that series kind of done. Um, yeah. I think YouTube is something again that I'm not that familiar with in terms of putting out material on it. But apparently, it's the biggest, second biggest search engine in the world, isn't it? So, but what I found interesting is that with podcasting, you tend to I've tended to see most of my downloads on the day or the day after. Mm uh with youtube it seems to vary and that, but that's a very early days experience of mine so um you know you seem to get a little little ups and downs here and there when somebody sort of discovers it in some way and then shares it again so who know, who knows really but yeah i think it's i think it's interesting um and i think uh, as people have said they've been doing this stuff over over zoom so video is more accessible for all of us um now and being able to you know but as i think it was adam who said sharing the the sort of live stream on youtube you know being able to do that is such a you know so it opens up those those doors even more yeah i'm just kind of going to make a point on that really that of doing these things over zoom technically if you're recording the audio you, it records the video so you've got a nice clean video thing that if you, you know you can bookend with your own branding and as long as you've got a YouTube account and you can put a few search terms in, it's a very easy kind of accessible thing just to, you know, add to your, to, you know, to your, um, to what you've got a bit essentially. And, um, you know, we've got minimal numbers, but it's, it's, it's a very shareable thing to put on sort of Facebook. And if you've got a link that, you know, has, it bring up, that brings up that thumbnail, you know, it's, it's, it's got much more visual appeal than, than just sticking a link in or saying, you can get it where you always get it sort of thing. I don't think anyone is really to talking about that. I don't think anyone has really got a really good sentence for, for, for explaining where you can get podcasts from. It seems like people kind of go, you can get it from Apple and this, but what they say is you, you know how to get it. Just go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In terms of expanding the audience, I think video is yeah, more just, immediate for doing that than, and than it's audio. Not taking, it? yeah. It's just not taking us really any more time to do that. And it's just like I said, it's yeah. just giving you an extra, extra angle. Well, I suppose a lot of what we've talked about in this in this section has been about, you know, sort of democratisation of these medias for all of us, really, and also other people wanting to get involved in, in beer communication. And um, I suppose that links us loosely into our, our next topic uh, to talk about, about diversity in beer and diversity in the industry. We're sat here, and I haven't got great views of everybody, but as far as I can see, we're all white. Uh, there's four women out of, I think, 14 uh 14 participants in this call um does that represent the beer industry or the craft beer industry as it as it is are there some voices not being heard and kind of if if so why um you know what are people's thoughts about that um so i think so when i first started drinking i'm probably one of the oldest people in this um looking at looking around at the all the videos um so i started drinking officially in 1988 <laughs> <laughs> it's been a big year for us this yeah. year yes yeah <laughs> happy Absolutely. birthday thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we're both fabulous at 50 darling absolutely <laughs> um yeah so i think way back then 
de- definitely. I mean, if if even if Zoom and whatever had been about around then, yes, the amount of women in beer then would have been uh, significantly different. So I think, in terms of women coming in, I think um, it's good to see that there are more, and it seems to be more. Um, inclusive from that point of view i think going back to some of the chats that we were talking about earlier about beer styles and getting the amount of beer styles that are out there but also so to expand on that it's the fact that because of the tap rooms and because of some of the uh, different pub stroke bar experiences that are out there now you're able to uh, try different styles so it's not like you have to walk in like I used to have to do and kind of think, okay, which is the most inoffensive pump clip, which is the, uh, what, what roughly is the style that sort of make, makes the most, you know, suits me the most. Now I can go, oh, I've not tried something like that before. And I can have little tasters. I don't have to buy a whole half pint or a pint. Um, so I think... Certainly from my point of view, it, it, uh, things have improved, I would say. I'm, I'm sort of, I feel more comfortable going into certain establishments now. Not that I've, I've always bucked the trend slightly. Um, you know, I've always been quite happy to be the only one amongst a bunch of uh, friends that have drunk beer versus the whole wine, champagne, Prosecco, cocktails, kind of cider kind of thing. Um but it is just nice to just, it feels a little bit more, I'm not being judged as much now um, as I probably were certainly in the, um, in the 90s, shall we say. I think you've made, you've made a lot of really interesting points there about, about women's access to beer, haven't you? In terms of, you know, I've, I've been, I remember being refused a pint in a pub once. It was, you know, women only were allowed to buy halves in that pub. And, um, you know, to, uh, you, I wouldn't expect that to happen ever again mm. um but uh, and and you know the way you talk about different beer styles has encouraged women into beer different serve sizes um so you, you say you don't have to have a massive pint you can have a smaller size. a lot of those things have encouraged more women in and also hopefully going to somewhere where in some places at least you don't feel like an idiot if you want to ask about the different types of beers yeah now, you had your hand up yeah, I just wanted to build on Vicky's point. I I got into beer sort of with the help of two female friends, actually, when I was in graduate school for public health, of all things. <laughs> and I that was in 2012. And so from sort of 2012 to 2015, I was having this really amazing beer journey, as we've mentioned, kind of going through this discovery of different beers and beer styles and breweries. And I just... It, it never really stuck out to me that I was a woman who enjoyed beer. I always just felt very confident. I was finding flavors I enjoyed and I wanted to then go seek out more of them. And it's only once I entered the beer industry that I realized um, that there are some women who don't feel that same way, that there are many women who do feel a barrier to maybe perhaps confidence or not seeing enough women like them in the, in the space to make them feel comfortable to join us. And really then, it also helped me to realize how many wonderful women there are in the industry already too. So there are, you know, people who feel like me, we love what we do, we're confident in the space and other people who feel, oh, maybe that's not for me because I don't see enough women. And that's really what led me to start my podcast, Beer With Nat, which is just about speaking with women who work in beer about what they do and why they love it to then help people see there are women who work in beer, who love what they do, who can teach you about beer. Uh, and really just to help you realize that if you're a beer drinker, there are other women who like beer too. So it's not just you, you know, 
know, come join this amazing community. And I always, always, always reference back to Melissa Cole's quote, if you can't see, you can't be. And so really the point of, you know, doing things like this, whether it's for women, whether it's for people who are in the LGBTQ plus community, which, you know, I'll, I'll speak to different uh, organizations working in that space or people of color, it's all about visibility. So the space I'm familiar with is as being a woman. So I want to highlight other women who are in the industry. But of course, we can talk about Lily Waite, who's doing amazing work to help increase the visibility of the LGBTQ plus community in beer and to raise funds for charities dedicated to, you know, people who need help from those organizations. And there's been so much work this year, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, to make sure that we focus on communities of color. And Eugenia Brown in the States has started this amazing initiative called Road to 100 to get 100 women of color Cicerone certified uh, with their certified beer server, so level one. And she's had women from um, around the world who are advanced and certified Cicerones help to teach for free to help pass on that education and help pass on the opportunities then that that first level of certification allows for. So it really has been great to see this year all of these other people helping to provide opportunities for people of all different backgrounds to a recognize themselves in the beer community and succeed in the beer community so i think it's been a really really great year for diversity in beer we have a long way to go yes but we're definitely on the right track absolutely and again you you raise some some really interesting points that that you know you can't be what you can't see all the signifiers that are around in the industry around who's welcome and who isn't i suppose and um vicky vicky mentioned that with pump clips you know that's such a you know a, an obvious kind of thing uh, as you know for most of my beer drinking life i've been around pump clips that are highly offensive to me um and that's starting to fade but it was only at last year's great british beer festival where they made a fantastic statement putting their foot down about uh, we will not have sexist or racist pump clips that caused such an outrage in the national media uh, that anyone would dare to make such a, a rule like that as if you know women have to somehow tolerate that laura um, I think just to build on the points Nat was making about visibility, which I think are really important ones, um, you noted at the beginning, Emma, that it was four out of 14 of us. Um, quick little maths, uh, that's almost 30%, which is much higher than the actual representation of women in brewing and in the beer industry. But what that says to me is that we have we are doing that work you know we are 30 percent representing a smaller number than that and that is great because we have this platform that we can use um and i think what we need to not do as a community as a whole not just as women within that but more generally is not think that any work has been completed you know we've mm. achieved so much but there's still such a long way to go um and i know uh, rachel who uh, organizes the women on tap festival which is in harrogate she was pointing this out the other day that the agenda needs to stay there it's not something that you can think oh we've moved on to the next thing the next issue and leave the other one behind it has to be conversations that we continue to build upon keep having them keep them in the forefront of people's minds and keep being visible as well as just kind of being here if that, if that makes sense absolutely and luke yes um so what i've done here is amongst all the people talking on this topic um as the only white male in the group i've decided to uh shut the hell up for most <laughs> of it uh just to try and set an example because uh, uh, but i think that i think everybody's hit on exactly the right things like, i mean laura you're, you're 100 right like this this ain't over and it's like you just look at the the report that came out from uh the uh Brewers association last year 
um, around diversity in beer, and the numbers are quite shocking. Like, we're a lot further behind uh, a lot of other industries. Um, and it is getting there, and we are making inroads, which is really good, and, you know, let's keep it positive. Um, but I suppose, you know, from, from my point of view, I think it's it's time for the people with privilege to actually start realizing that this is the problem and doing something about it and raising awareness about it and also occasionally just shutting up and sitting down because letting other people through and letting other, i mean i looked at our stats for rhythm and bruise um of all the guests we've had on and it is to be frank disgusting the amount of non-white males non-white straight males that we've had on uh, rhythm and bruise and it's saying that i'm definitely you know committing to, to fixing from now on when i actually sat down and looked at the numbers um, Nat, you so, had yeah. your hand up. sorry sorry luke yeah i was going to say something different which i will come back to but just on luke's point <laughs> i had someone reach out to me and uh and, and pitch a man to come on my podcast and i'm like did you even look at who i speak to like <laughs> i i have said i only speak to women for the purpose of giving them a platform and giving them visibility so the fact that someone would even bother pitching a guest and clearly not know anything about the show i was yeah. like come on people this is part of the problem you need to know that there are amazing women to speak to and that's who i want to dedicate you know the space to that i've created um, but I just wanted to mention as well, building on the amazing statistics that Laura noted, you know, we are slightly misrepresented in the sense of who we have here versus uh, what the industry looks like. But incredibly, at as uh, Emma mentioned, this year's Guild of Beer Writers Awards, of the 18 different awards that were given out, 12 of them went to women. And I just, you know, looked at that statistic and was like, yes, girl power, well done us. You know, that two thirds of the awards have gone to women. It's, it's just really all about normalizing the fact that we love beer, we drink beer, we talk about beer. It's normal for us to be in this space, okay, gentlemen? You know, we just want you to feel like it's cool to have us next to you to talk about the thing that we love and to be knowledgeable about the thing that we love. It really, really frustrates me when I hear stories from female bar managers who say that, you know, a male member of staff who just started yesterday would be trusted more over the woman who has been running the bar and buying in the beer for years. Mm-hmm. Things like that really frustrate me because we know what we're on about just as much as, or maybe more than some gentlemen do in the industry. So yeah, really for me, it's just about creating that space and bigging up the voices who do know what they're doing, whether it is women, people of color, people in the LGBTQ plus community to really make sure they're heard and they're valued as members of this community as well. Absolutely. And, I, and I, I think it was amazing to see those winners the other night. It's such a different sort of group photograph than there has kind of, I think, ever been with the Guild Awards. I suppose what we what we've settled into and which is perfectly natural being mostly women in this group is we're talking about mostly about women mm. and about diversity in terms of women and that has progressed i think quite a way it's, as you, as as laura said that mustn't be lost that progress we mustn't just move on to something else and lose that progress but i wonder if we can learn some of those lessons um i was talking to uh, a, a black beer lover the other day and he he was sort of pointing out those same things that I've felt as a woman, that I've felt as a very obvious gay woman. Uh, when I've entered places, I want to see some signifiers that I'm welcome there, that this is a place where I am. And he pointed out to me kind of, you know, you often go to tap rooms in big cities and they might be in the shadow of places where a very diverse population might live. But is that population in that tap room? Not Mm. always, you know, not always. Often people are traveling to that tap room. A certain type of person is traveling to that tap room. It's not something that's open to the local community. And I wonder 
how uh, uh, building on what Luke said earlier, how we take responsibility for moving those things forward, maybe learning what we've, you know, taking what we've learned as, as getting women into the industry, getting, uh, you know, some queer people into the industry um, and how we move that forward, particularly in the light of what's happening globally this year in terms of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think that um, I think it's been mentioned a couple of times, but I think visibility, right? Visibility is the, the key, one of the keys here. And both in the online space, we've talked about the online space a lot here today, but um, but obviously in the offline space as well. And, you know, things like um, the um, I am craft beer hashtag that, that kicked off last year, like absolutely phenomenal to see all these different, you know, from, from people of color and, and the LGBTQ plus space. Um, because, I mean, yeah, women are becoming more representative within beer. And you're exactly right. Those other marginalized communities just aren't like, and, and it's something that you just don't see those people in beer. And that is, I think, one of the big, big problems. And, and, it's, and, and I think it's, you know, it's up to people, not only the, um, the people who run these institutions, um, like when you're walking into a bar, making sure that it's a safe space, making sure that it's a, a friendly space. Um, but also us as patrons, making sure that we're not making these cliquey, you know, spaces that are just the same homogenized faces, um, actually inviting more people and being proactive about it as well. Absolutely. And Vicky? Yeah, I was just going to sort of expand on that. Is there, a, I think it was Laura or Nat mentioned earlier on, you know, a couple of hours ago now about, um, I think when we were talking about beer stars, about the language of beer. And th- let's face it, that can put, as we've already discussed, but that can put a lot of people off, regardless of gender, diversity, colour, you know, all of that kind of thing. So, is there something going going back onto what Luke was saying? Is there something about again us not being quite so? It's very difficult when we're all podcasters and we're all here talking about beer. It's very easy not to get sucked into our own language and be very geeky about it. But when we're out in that, when we can finally go out into um, those public spaces again and um, be sitting there, can what can we be doing to stop making it feel so? cliquey and geeky and you know is there something that we just have to do as part of our everyday vocabulary is you know not be snobby not be geeky not be uh, and not yeah not kind of have a go at people if they don't quite understand what we're talking about initially and surely that's the whole point is we should then you know try and draw people in and right okay well would you like to learn more etc so um, but equally as podcasters and beer educators and beer writers, etc., it's yeah, there is that element of, like Luke said, what can we do next year now to, okay, how can we go out there now and bring in a wider audience? Is that, you know, maybe we ought to sort of be thinking amongst ourselves and be, you know, discussing amongst ourselves and sort of thinking, right, what can we do? How can we do this? You know, who do we get involved? We know that there are, um, and we were talking earlier, weren't we, about all, you know, we, we don't have to meet up with brewers now or other people in the industry. We can do it all on Zoom, right? Well, let's go and connect with them and, you know, let's start Absolutely. that line. Absolutely. What can we, I think that's the question, isn't it? What can we be doing? I, I listened to a talk just before lockdown from um, 
Dr. J, Dr. Jackson Beckham from the from the US, who's a you know incredible, does incredible work around diversity in beer, and and the thing that that that, that stuck with me from what she was saying was, um, you know, it's it's not enough for us to say we are committed to, uh, you know, representing different people. We are committed to no racism, no transphobia. No, that's not enough. That you know that's equivalent to to me just saying that I'm really good at karate and I could take you out. I'm not really good at karate unless I put the work in. I never will be. Um, so just saying these statements is is just no good. Um, at the start, when I when I set out with fermentation, I made the commitment that I will never ever release a show if it has doesn't have at least another woman's voice as well as my own in it. And I've managed to stick to that. Apart from the ones where I've done single interviews, I managed to stick to that throughout. It's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. But what I've failed on doing is looking wider, looking outside of um, of people who look like me, you know, people who have the same skin colour as me, looking broader, looking at, at disability, looking at um, at people who have different, yeah, different abilities, different skin colours, have different experience of the beer world and wondering how we change that. One of my most powerful experiences in my beer career was walking into Great British Beer Festival last year and seeing... Uh, uh, rainbow flags and uh, trans flags all over the place absolutely all over the place I suddenly thought oh my god it's okay it's okay here I've, it made me feel so different and I think it's about we have a res I think we have a responsibility to make those steps make those changes they don't have to be huge to make such a big difference um, Nat you had your hand up but then and then to Luke yeah, just building on what you were saying, Emma, I think as well as a beer educator, I've got I've got a few different thoughts that, that, that have been brought up from this conversation. But really the idea of the work that we individually have to do. So of course, with the Black Lives Matter movement earlier this year, I took a bit of time to kind of reflect and think about what do I know? What don't I know? And really learning the difference between equality and equity was, you know, those two words I, I didn't realize there was a difference. And this idea of giving everyone the same starting line is very different than giving people the opportunities they need so we can all access the same finish line. And really being able to then, as a beer educator, make my work accessible to people because it is the language that we use that may set people off. People know what wine comes from and they know what cider comes from. They don't know what beer comes from. And when we're talking about things like DDH and Mosaic, what the heck is that if you don't even know what a hop is? So how do we continue to take a few steps back and use the language that welcomes people? And so this year I've gone to a few cider tastings and I know nothing about cider, but it's an important reminder for me to kind of be out of my depth and be like, holy cow, how do I learn about this whole new world? Because I started learning about beer eight years ago and I feel I know a lot about it now. I don't know much about wine. I don't know much about cider. I don't know much about coffee. So reminding myself to be a novice at something has been really helpful to make sure that I explain things in a way that welcome people as opposed to put people off. And then also about you know providing information for free or at a very affordable price and, and over the internet, you know, which is this great connector um, to be able to then welcome people into the space has been really helpful. And I am a huge advocate of buying beer at supermarkets and it comes into that class piece as well. Beer is expensive, as we talked about earlier. But if you can find great beer in your supermarket, that's where you get started. Then yeah, you can go down the rabbit hole and, and go to your interesting craft beer shop nearby. But we need to have things that welcome people in at the point of purchase. And then mm. we can get all geeky and, and interested after that. Um, <laughs> but it's we need to make that that sort of level playing field and give the same opportunities to everyone. I just I just got a message from Andrew who, who um, you know, raised a, a really interesting point to me where, um, you know, let's take action and especially for the visibility piece let's say if beer nation is going to happen again next year it doesn't go ahead unless we have more than 50 percent representation from non-straight white males 
Um, I think that, you know, we do, this is a really good, I mean, this is much better representation that I've seen um, in the beer community. But we could do better, and mm-hmm. you know, I think that we should do better. <laughs> I think I think that's a, that's a good place to to move on to our, our 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 last topic, really, isn't it? Because we're talking about you know what we can do, taking some action, making some change. It kind of builds on everything we've talked about all afternoon. Where we are, where we've got to in the last five years, where we can, you know, what kind of changes we can make, what kind of responsibility we hold, what we're going to be left with after you know after. COVID hopefully goes its merry way, um, you know, but, but I think there are things that we can do and maybe that has to be part of our predictions for next year, which we're going to talk about now, has to be our commitments for next year as well about how we look at, at, at what we do, whether that's personally or, or in the beer stuff that we do, how, we, how we, are, we, we are in a different place, if not next year, at least, definitely in five years' time when Steve will have the energy back to, to corral us all, all back again to talk <laughs> about things. Um, but yeah, that is what we're going to talk about now. We're going to talk about predictions for the next five years. And I think it's, I think it's, been, it's been a tough call today to really focus on the, the last five years because we've got this enormous concrete wall of, of COVID that has happened since March, that it's sometimes it's hard to you know to to picture in your mind's eye what it was like in the before times and what it might be like in the after times. It's it's so very difficult to look on that huge scale when, at the moment, speaking for myself anyway, my life has kind of shrunk to kind of that. It's really hard to to for people who are listening. I've got my hands really close together. I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing video radio. Um, yeah, so my, my life has shrunk to barely anything. It's hard to have bigger picture of the past or the, or the future. But I'm going to ask you all to do that now, to have some kind of predictions. What are we going to be drinking? How is the beer world going to look? Where are we going to be going? Adam, you're straight in there. I'm just thinking more short term. And obviously, let's just keep on this slight COVID thing. And I think as much as people are going to have to, all companies have to future proof, there's no more kind of, kind of scary world than there is now in terms of what you do in that and i was thinking back to when this first kind of lockdown came out came about and this is to show how, how difficult it is to future proof is that i was thinking how are micro pubs going to survive this when you've got to be two meters away from everybody and your pubs probably four meters long and then as things kind of evolved and changed it became like it became, became like the micro pubs are actually the ones who are still open now in, in tier three and pubs have shut completely and I think it's going to be in the next in the next six months. People are going to be very cagey about just going. Oh, straight back to normal. We've got we've got a you know, look up. It's kind of gone away. I think people are thinking, well, when's the next one going to happen? Will there be a knock on effect? And they they're going to have to think about things like, do we need a, a plan for do we for doing food? We don't currently do that. What is our um, delivery kind of and getting a beer out to people if we can't open? And I think there's going to be a lot of thinking about what what what. You know what that is, and I think maybe for, as a consumer, there are probably going to be a lot more options as for us as people have got to try and you know, spread that risk essentially. Well, I was just following on from what Adam was saying there, I think disaster recovery planning takes on a whole new meaning these days. You know, at work, we've had many scenarios, but the one which I think often got overlooked was things like pandemics, it was more. Uh, in the city of London, some sort of terrorist attack um, or maybe something really banal like a blackout or a strike or a flake of snow on the line, for example. 
But now that people have considered it, I think that one of the trends will be people will be thinking long and hard about opening a bottle shop, a pub, somewhere which, you know, they may have thought long and hard about doing this before. They may think twice about doing it, but I think if they do it, they will make sure they have covered as many bases as they can predict they can. Take-ins, take-outs, delivery online, various forms of dispense. I think people are going to think long and hard before they just open what, you know, Adam referred to as a micro pub. I think people will think long and hard about it going forward. Um, The other thing I think that will continue is what we're doing now is using uh, tech to get together. I don't think that's going to go uh, because as everyone, pretty much everyone on here is going to go, yes, I want to go back to the pub, but this has been a real benefit as well because even if this was in normal times to get all of us together would have taken a lot more work. And I would venture that say, for example, Tom, who, who, who's, who's become a dad recently, and even Ashley, who's a dad for a months now, uh, is an old hand practically would be thinking twice about whether they could commit to a day out somewhere mutually convenient to literally uh, chew the fat over beer, which will inevitably end up in getting drunk and a, a long train journey home probably. So this kind of thing I think is here to stay. And I think people will think long and hard about how they go about their business plans in the future. Absolutely. Good points there. Vicky, you've got your hand on. Uh, yeah, mine's a, I have a wish and I have a prediction um, <laughs> or I hope. Um, so my wish is that if we do a Beer Nation 2025, that we don't need diversity as a topic because it will be um, eradicated. We won't have to worry about, you know, what gender or colour or whatever we are. Um, my hope is that when pubs can reopen we will have some kind of hybrid where we'll have that if you want to go up to the bar and order your beer you can do but if you want table service you can also have that and we'll use technology and all sorts of things for for that so um you've got that hopefully as consumers and customers we will have that best of both worlds building on what we've what we've what we achieved during this during this terrible time the good things from the terrible time yeah. yeah andrew it's kind of building a bit on what Vicky said there and, and the discussions we've had earlier. Um, I think, sadly, we are going to see the number of pubs decline over the next five years, I suspect, partly through COVID, partly through people not appreciating them. So what I would hope for in the next five years, you're going to see pubs uh, thinking about diversification. Now, that's that's the people that they welcome in through their doors. Uh you know, whether that's able-bodied, not able-bodied, whether that's, you know, beer drinkers or not beer drinkers. I think they need to seriously think about what they're offering. I think generally the the, the number of people that are teetotal in the UK is, seems to be increasing. So what, what are pubs going to offer to these people that don't even drink alcohol if they're going to remain uh, relevant and valid in their communities? So the, COVID will have pushed forward the thinking for a lot of pubs, I think, in terms of what they're offering and how they're trying to reach into their communities. So I think I think for the next five years, I'd like to see a continuation of that. Why? How are pubs going to remain relevant and appropriate to the communities in which they sit in? If they want to survive, it, they've got to be thinking about that. And then my second sort of hope and expectation for the next five years, and I'm going to say it, is brown ales. So we're, <laughs> we're all going to be drinking a lot more brown ales in five years' time. But there we go. <laughs> Excellent, thank you. Ashley? Yeah, thanks, Emma. I, I think 
my hope, and it's because things have shifted in a way that really tailors to my tastes, is that I just hope over the next few years, brewers and breweries just keep getting weird with it and just trying new things and really innovating and experiencing. I mean, the move towards pastry sours and these really sort of fruity experimental things is right up my alleyway. So, and I think that particularly reflecting on COVID and the closure of businesses and closure of pubs, there's a real risk that people say, actually, we need to revert to a model where volume is king. And that means we just need to just get the crowd pleasers out and we, we just go for the things that we know people want rather than trying something a bit different. So I just hope we steer clear of that and that the economy is able to steer clear of that. And then we can have those people that think, actually, this might be awful, but we might learn from it. Um, and actually, we can afford to learn from it rather than every batch that we brew needs to sell and needs to sell well to keep us ticking over month to month. So I just hope that everyone's able to stabilise to the point that we, we don't lose the momentum of innovation that we've seen in the last few years because it's been incredible. Absolutely. It certainly has. When we think it, reflect back on the five years ago, it certainly has. Mark? I just wanted to sort of um, add on, well, not add on, but just sort of back up Vicky's claim that I, I really hope that in 2025 we don't have a section on diversity. I, it was absolutely fascinating talk um, that you gave there on diversity absolutely brilliant stuff um and yeah as vicky says if, if we can get to 2025 without having to talk about that and as luke said if we can have at least 50 percent representation um across the board when we do this in 2025 which i'm sure that we will 100 um then that that would be absolutely fantastic um in terms of the tech will it will it be zoom we, we don't know what tech um is going to be like in five years time these sort of advancements that we've had in technology um even over the last five years um has been has been fantastic so uh who i'm knows? intending to be there as a hologram i don't know it, exactly yeah we could we could all just be holograms doing this <laughs> in 2025 which would be absolutely fantastic and um, the only other thing i sort of wanted to um touch upon is that in terms in, in regards to a local aspect um, I'm, I'm slightly worried about how the East Midlands is going to come out in the next five years, only because I know that Leicester has been sort of hit and miss. Leicestershire as a whole has been hit and miss as a sort of front for craft beer. Um, so I, I do sort of worry about how the pubs in Leicestershire, particularly places in Leicester, like the Two-Tailed Lion and the Blue Boar, how they're going to you know, come out of this over the next five years or so. Um, I'm not so worried about places like Nottingham. I think outside of Manchester, Nottingham's the best place for craft beer in the entire country. Um, but e even so, a couple of places there are, you know, at risk of uh, at risk of closing down. So it, it is somewhat of a worry, um, especially across um, the East Midlands for us. So I, I would like to think that in the next five years, we'll still see a lot of those places or at least see replacements for a lot of those places that live up to, to what we're experiencing now. But um, we'll just have to wait and see. It's very hard to predict. Absolutely. Laura. I just kind of wanted to tie in a little bit with what Ashley was saying. Um, I completely agree. I really do hope that breweries are able to continue innovating um, and coming up with uh, weird creations. And none of us have mentioned the B word yet. Um, but I think post-Brexit, um, the availability of a lot of our key ingredients, um, a lot of things that are imported and that kind of thing is at least in the short to medium term, I would say, have quite a big impact. Um, so I think 
it's going to come down to breweries to think what can we do to still get that range of flavors and still push the boundaries and still make exciting things without necessarily um these you know these additional costs um so potentially um one thing that i've started to see quite a lot of this year is um breweries working with uh cideries and other kind of you know british ingredients you know it'd be really nice to see um a bit of an uptake in people using um homegrown hops and that kind of thing um but that needs to come alongside a public understanding that it's not going to create a beer that's exactly the same so i think breweries have quite a tough task ahead of them um but i think think the resilience and adaptability that they've already shown this year I hope proves that they'll all be up to the task and I think it could be a really exciting time for us to start playing around with things and seeing what we can get out of what we already have absolutely no good point really good points there in terms of you know we're facing another you know dropping off another cliff at the point of recording aren't we so um you know let's hope as you say we've learned some lessons Luke what now that craft beer is becoming a lot more mainstream uh we've seen that with supermarkets and proliferation of of, of breweries and some huge buyouts like i'd love to see another small microbrewery boom like we saw about sort of 10 years ago um similar to what happened with music when it when when it kind of went mental 20 years ago um because i think the more small breweries we have that even if they just serve local areas the more diversity we're going to see, the more not only like well diversity in people, but also diversity in beer and styles and and experimentation and I mean that's what I'd love to see whether it's going to happen or not with everything else that's on the uh, the horizon. Who bloody knows? <laughs> Good point, so Simon. Yeah, what I'd like to hope that within the next five years is that I don't have to eat a Scotch egg in order to go to the pub for a pint. Um, <laughs> And so I hope that 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 kind of get we get past that quite soon. What have you got against Scotch eggs, Simon? <laughs> Nothing at all. I love them, but I don't really want to have to have one in order no. to go out for a pint. Um, what I'd like to see, I mean, certainly, obviously, as Laura's already mentioned, the Brexit thing obviously is is going to potentially change things quite soon, uh, and I'm hoping that that doesn't stop um, some of the more interesting ingredients coming into this country for us to to make. Uh, you know, really interesting and challenging and uh, forward kind of thinking beers. Um, But what I'd also like to see change as well is that um, as somebody who in normal times goes to a lot of gigs, I would like to see good beer available in gig Mm -hmm. venues, um, which is still somewhere that with the exception of places like uh, Rock City at Nottingham, um, most of them, you, you've got Red Stripe, Guinness or something like that. And that needs to change. It really does. Um, but um, I see also perhaps the future in things like Quake Yeast also becoming more prevalent in a lot more beers because not just because of different flavor aspects of it, but also the fact that it works a lot quicker than some of the other yeasts. And, and, and therefore, if people can kind of turn around beers quicker, that, that may well be to the benefit of the smaller breweries and stuff like that, really. Absolutely. Nat? Yeah, I just wanted to third Vicky's point about diversity. Um, I also wanted to thank Luke for being a part of the conversation because I do think it's really important that, you know, sometimes people can feel uncomfortable in these conversations about diversity. And even as a straight white woman, I feel uncomfortable sometimes knowing that women have made progress in the beer industry and that we have other groups to look to to help lend a hand to them and bring them into the beer industry too. So I think I would ask for all of us to make a commitment, uh, you know, whether it's guests on our podcast or whether it's listeners of the podcast, value someone's opinion, value what 
experience someone is sharing with you over a beer, whether it is why they like a certain beer or what they want to teach you about a beer. Just listen to people from all different backgrounds and make them feel welcome and make them feel part of our community. And that is how we will get to that goal that we're all looking forward to, this idea that we don't need to have these conversations about diversity anymore. It's just actually listening to people, you know, and I think the reason we're all here together today is because we love beer and beer brings people together. And that's part of the reason why I'm in the industry. So if we can make people feel welcome, that's really what we're all aiming to do. And I think for me, what I hope will stay because I really have seen so much value in it is online events like these, you know, whether it is a, you know, it doesn't always have to be a podcast recording, but doing a beer launch and getting to chat with the brewer about their beer that's an incredible opportunity to do from my spare room or being able to, you know, teach people about beer, whether they're anywhere in the world, whatever time zone they're in. I really think that this is something that, you know, I've, I've been living abroad. I'm from the States and and I would speak to friends over video calls, but never really do it in an industry way before. And I think this is really something that I hope sticks around for the next few years. Because again, like we've said, it's about bringing people together. It's about connection. And we don't necessarily have to be in the same place. Although we would prefer to, we don't have to, to be able to keep the beer community growing uh, and really giving back to what we love so much about it. Absolutely. I'm keen not to leave anybody out of their predictions. Tom, you're a new father. You must be looking to the, your house must be full of future plans and thoughts. What, what are you, what's, your, what's your predictions for the next five years? Um, well, I get, well, it wasn't something I was going to say with the new father take. I think something I discovered certainly a month before the due date was non-alcoholic beers and um, the, the strides they've made. And actually, I was, you know, I was trying to search out quite a lot and I was impressed with some of the some of the beers I found, non-alcoholic beers I found. So whether that's something, again, that just continues, you know, in the next five years, would it taste exactly like a beer or would it taste a bit like a beer still? But um, I think that's something that certainly, you know, it is really interesting something that i, I i've really got into um uh, obviously because i needed to be sober to drive to hospital so <laughs> um uh, yeah and uh, then the other point i was going to make was was something obviously born out of, out of the pandemic is how our beer is served will we continue to have table service will we still be there at our table logging into their app um purchasing the beer there and then at the table and then it's brought to us is that something that will continue um, I know there was some, I saw some places actually doing pour your own and, and buying at, at, you know, at the pump and stuff. It's a bit sort of innovative. Will that, again, will that be something that continues to grow? Um, or will it be a case of when we, when we can go back to normal, will we just be at the, at the bar? Because I do miss, especially um, some of our favourite locals, you know, sitting at the bar and chatting to the barman and, and the other locals. I do miss that. But will that, is that something of the past? Will it be now? Um, apps and, and and table service i don't know but um that so, could yeah. be something that's uh that progresses yeah good points and charles what are your thoughts for the future or hopes yeah i think um just echoing what kind of everybody has said really i mean we, we hope for you know further diversification uh within drinkers and within um you know the beer styles that we're seeing already and it's going to be a tough road. I think the next six months are going to be absolutely crucial. Um, sadly, I feel we're going to lose a few um, breweries or, uh, along the way, but I think there will be a period of stability and then hopefully, you know, uh, we'll see a period of growth. Um, but it's predictions. I mean, yeah, it's, we don't know. I don't know, but um, yeah. Well, the only person who's going to hold you to them is Steve, who's going to listen to this back <laughs> in five years time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Steve, you 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 brought people together five years ago. You've brought them together now. 
you've got that view of uh, of the past and the future. What, what are your predictions for the next five years? I, I think it's probably something that strings together what we did in 2015 and, and, and what I mentioned at the beginning and where I see things going. And, and that's, I think we're going to see more breweries doing business to customer. So I think we're going to see more tap rooms. I think we're going to see more brew pubs. I think we're going to see more online services that go direct to the customer. And I think we're going to see more breweries again, tapping into what others have said using the virtual space to to do beer launches we've seen a lot of breweries have done that very successfully uh, over the last few months and it saves them money because they can you, you know it doesn't cost to bring people to to a venue to to try your beers you can send the beers out and bring everybody together on online and i think that's what we're going to see i think and i think that's a good thing that that, that breweries have got closer to their customers they've begun to understand their customers needs and wants and they've reacted to that but i I will end by saying i don't think that's ever going to be a replacement for the pub because i think i think breweries should always put their beers into the pub to serve to the customer to be enjoyed with friends absolutely andrew did you want to no, i'm glad you finished on that steve because i think beer equals sociabilities for me Absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's the drink that I want to be sat around drinking with people. I know I love their friends. So yeah, that, that that's what I'm hoping for that it, it remains that that drink of sociability. That most convivial of drinks, isn't it? Yes. And I think sort of just to sum up, uh, you know, life, life has changed beyond recognition, not just in the past five years, but in the past, you know, nine or 10 months. I think if if we had suddenly appeared at the table of those six people you had in 2015 talking about the beer industry, if we'd appeared in our masks, staying two metres away, and told them what was going to happen by the time this, this event ever took off, they would not have believed us, and, and rightly so. I'm, I'm, um, thinking, I'm thinking Bill and Ted there, Emma. It's like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like they've got into the phone box and they've gone back through and, and people just don't know what's going on in the future. Well, exactly. I mean, even if, even if we told our own selves just a year ago, we would not have believed it. And I think, you know, hopefully this, this session today has, has captured some of that, you know, captured not only the, the devastation that, that COVID has caused in this industry that we love, um, and with this drink that we love, but also the learning that has happened in that time. We've all learned so very much. That's why we're all exhausted. Um, but we've all learned so very much. And some of those changes, as you've highlighted, have been in some ways positive. Um, I suppose what I hope would continue is, is, like you say, things like this, whether it's in the virtual world or the physical world, this, uh, this wish to connect and to support and to be part of a community. And I think beer has been around for 10,000 years. They're not going to take that away from us, this conviviality, this wish to come together to drink it and celebrate each other and celebrate the drink itself. And as podcasters, we are perfectly placed to do that. So thank you so much, Steve, and for, for pulling this together. It's been uh, you know, a, a, an incredible event. It's been a really nice way to spend an afternoon and uh, hopefully it's an important kind of marker in the ground for when you come back in 2025 and look at how far we've got with our favourite drink. So finally, raise your glasses. Cheers. 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 Thanks, everybody. Cheers.